all you movie junkies and cinephiles, it's time for the SLS Cast with your hosts, Matt and Tim. And welcome, one and all, to episode 257 of the SLS Cast. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, this is the Pac-Man-themed restaurant episode of the SLS Cast because it turns out that at uh, the Woodfield Mall in Schaumburg, Illinois, there is a contemporary American restaurant there that is completely inspired by Pac-Man and is actually inspired by the kill screen that I referred to from episode 256 in Pac-Man. And this, this, this restaurant, this restaurant is called Level 257. Yes, and with that wonderful little bit of Pac-Man restaurant-themed knowledge, I, of course, am Matt, the very sickly Matt. I'm sure you can tell. And coming to us all the way from sunny California is our resident healthy Sony employee Tim. Ah, oh, thank God somebody can get an up an upper octave register because I would just be like Sony employee. <laughs> Scoob. God, yeah, no kidding, right? Like you know, where, what the fuck? So, like, what kind of food do they serve at this Pac-Man themed? Like, I actually looked it up. No, no, I, I actually went. Th- it's think your typical burger barn kind of a place you know like a red robin or uh, what used to be bennigan's kind of food with some fusion flair in there i noticed they had some sushi rolls and stuff like that but i mean it's pretty much just a glorified pac-man tavern kind of a place and uh it opened up in 2015 and is still going strong so if you're in illinois and if you're in schaumburg illinois check it out (laughs) hmm what could represent the world cuisine of Pac-Man in the great state of Illinois? <laughs> I mean, the fact that it's owned by Namco Entertainment, though. I mean, I'm guessing it's theoretically not going to go anywhere for at least a little while. Sure. I mean, like, do is there, like, corporate office in Illinois? I'm not sure. Yeah. N- no, no, no. Their headquarters is in Minato, Tokyo, Japan. Okay, that is definitely not Illinois, unless there's exactly. a Minato, Tokyo, Illinois, a suburb of Chicago. It <laughs> in, it is entirely possible. You know, who knows? So, Matthew, you say that you were sick. What are you sick with? I am. I H1N1? am not a hundred percent sure. <laughs> I really and truly am not sure. I started noticing the twinges of everything on Sunday. And I was like, well, maybe it's just a little bit of a sore throat. I don't know. And, I'm, you know, like the old chloroseptic commercials that they had back in the 90s. It'll hurt if I swallow. And, of course, now that we're older, that just sounds dirty. Yeah, so I thought it was kind of like that. Made sure to drink a lot of water and everything. And then overnight on Monday, overnight Sunday night into Monday, I wake up and, I, and I'd had the the nasal this drainage and stuff and i'm like oh man i'm just feeling like crap go and take my last final of this semester and then i manage to get through all that go to work and i'm just dragging ass at work i wake up today and i found out i had a 4.0 for the semester got a's in all my classes and i'm like yay and then of course i'm feel oh god did the blizzard have anything to do the great houston blizzard of 2017 have anything to do with your illness i don't think so 
uh, we had a blast with it, actually. Woke the kids up and uh, taught them how to make a, a perfect snowball. I mean, this happened like at 2 o'clock in the morning your time, right? Or Nah, 12.30. Okay. So, I mean, it was still, you know, still pretty late. We literally had to wake the kids up. Our youngest kids really couldn't be bothered with it. Uh, and I'm like, this is like a literal once-in-a-lifetime thing for you. What? And so... Our oldest, however, she was just like, it was everything in our power to have her get a coat on before she ran outside. Yeah, so she was and she was so, into it. Oh, yeah, she was into it. And so then, of course, we still had snow left over in the morning. And at that point, the younger two were like, oh, wow, snow. Our middle kid didn't even remember that we had woken her up <laughs> to see it. But so again, take him outside, show him how to do the snowball and everything because you gotta, you, you know, they, they were trying to do it immediately with gloves. And I'm like, nope, 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 stop. Take the gloves off. Gloves are no good. You gotta use the warmth of your hand. You know, the warmth of your hands to help kind of compact that there and make just a tiny little layer of ice. You know, you don't want to do it too, too much because then it just kind of clumps all together. You need to get it just right so that it, so that it shatters on impact so that they can't pick it back up and throw it back at you. And thus you now have the upper hand and can continue to pummel them with the snowballs. So were you the only people outside at that late of an hour or were there other families? Our neighbors or? actually, yeah, we have uh, some neighbors across the street came out and joined us and we were hanging out with them and enjoying the snow and that's cool yeehaw yeah so that yeah. so that happened thursday night that friday my sister came into town so she left freezing cold weather in houston texas to come over to la where it's been in the 80s the past few days <laughs> actually for the past week or so it's been so high 80s she left here to go to normal Houston weather is what you're saying. <laughs> no, not even normal Houston weather, because at least it's dry here. I mean, of course, we might have a couple more wildfires happening at that time than in Houston. But, you know, like normal Houston weather at this time is either icy, freezing cold and wet or shorts weather. I mean, my nieces and nephews were in their bathing suits just like a week and a half ago playing outside in a in a sprinkler. It's bipolar sure. as shit out there. Well, can shit really be bipolar, though? Well, you know, it's... you got the hard, pebbly ones, and then you got the liquid, soft, <laughs> but, smooth ones. So, so, okay, so, so is diarrhea the bipolar version because it's liquid shit when shit should theoretically not be liquid? So it's bipolar. It can't decide what it wants. Yeah. Well, I mean, okay. So what? what is one the step... The philosophical discussions that we are having this evening. Well, what is one step further? What is one step past bipolar? Uh, polar? <laughs> <laughs> like insane? Like, is there something that's like in the realm of bipolar I'm, I'm, I'm but worse? I'm fairly certain that you're either polar as in, you know, you have one mood or you're bipolar where you have the high and the ups and downs. Everything else is just kind of... Within the realm of the normal poles, yeah. Well, air quotes over here. Well, I, I, I think that that particular type or consistency of fecal matter is like the psychotic asshole of fecal matter, where huh. it can get. Which is convenient because that's where fecal matter comes from. <laughs> yes, it's the serial killer of fecal matter. Like you have no idea Although, where it's going to go. <laughs> It's kind of funny. So I was uh, looking at uh, looking at Reddit as I am want to do, and apparently, did you just look up poop on Reddit? 
the mention of the asshole and the poop talk and everything just kind of reminded me it triggered triggered i i happened to see on reddit you know scrolling through the wonderful wonders of reddit as it were and apparently in denmark someone had the bright idea to actually put a 100 frame per second camera right up to somebody's anus and and slow-mo record the fart and so like, like their bare anus. Yes. Like the literally straight up the whole anus. Like the camera's like two inches away from somebody's anus. Do you realize in order to like... do that, they had to light the scene? Like they had to light that guy's <laughs> anus. Possibly put makeup on it if it's a human We're assuming show. the gender of the anus. I don't know if it was a male or a female or not, but it was just hilarious. I, I was like... Because all the subtitle thing was is you know the the tag was just meanwhile in Denmark I'm like okay so I go like no what is this no 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 and that's when Matthew watched it 29 times. <sighs> hey, this is not meat spin. I did not watch it 29 times. I have no idea what meat twice. spin is, but I've talked about meat spin before. Yeah. Okay, we'll leave it at that then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, finished up school and. Had a wonderful Thanksgiving holiday. Which we discussed last week. We did. Yeah, we did. Yeah. Just catching up everything. There were mysteries left over from the end of the holidays and whatnot. Yes. I've actually tried to get people to do their own version of turkey aspic. So far, no takers. And, uh, yeah, and, you know, been watching movies and doing all that kind of stuff. So that's been kind of my life lately. Well, well, that means that they're solid, normal friends if they're not even going to attempt to make that hellish <laughs> Thanksgiving <laughs> meal, whatever the hell that was. Yes, I agree, I agree. So, what's your life been like, sir? Uh, for the sake of time, um, you know, not much has happened. I got engaged, and that's pretty much it. Oh, is that all? Yeah, that, Just for the sake it. of time. Yeah. Brevity, yeah. brevity. Oh. To my significant other. I mean, I, I guess I have to specify that these days. True. The significant other just got significantly more significant. She did. And I'm done. She did. She did. <laughs> I, I don't know how I can top that. <laughs> All right. So, congratulations. Perhaps maybe for our Christmas episode, we can we can get the story out of you for that. Ooh, what do you say? Yes. It is a Christmassy story, I suppose. All right, I'm very excited, yay. All right, well then, we will keep you in suspense for the wonder that is the story of the engagement to the significant other of Tim. Well, it'll be like the stupidest, dumbest, Twilight, Hallmark, Christmas movie. Actually, no, it's pretty sweet. Yeah, wait wait till next week. I was going to say, way to sell it. Yeah. People are definitely going to be wanting to hear it now all right well then without further ado how about we go ahead and jump into our bonus segment this week which is not the news but much like we said is the copycat throwdown of coco versus the book of life what do you think should we go ahead and get into that copycat throwdown i think we should most definitely skip the email sack and go directly i wasn't into you, hey hey I, I didn't even bring it up did you see how i just segued right into that well you did but i just wanted to okay. make sure because i've been checking the email every single day and for the record johnny as we record this episode you missed your cutoff for sending the email just letting you know tomorrow morning my ass anyway (laughs) because for whatever it's worth that was in the email box (laughs) i'm on my way to work right now but i'll send you one in the morning okay 
All right. Well, then here we go, folks. Let's take a look at that copycat throwdown. It's it's the the copy copy cat cat throwdown throwdown. That's right. It's the copycat throwdown. Well, that's right. It's the copycat throwdown. Stop it. Stop it. No, no. Seriously, stop it. Oh, right. Like, stop repeating. Stop repeating. Right. Oh. Uh, Okay. I'm going to kick your ass. ass. Throwdown time. All right. And as we already mentioned, yes, Copycat Throwdown this time around is Coco versus uh, 2017's Coco versus 2014's The Book of Life. And, uh, well, I guess let's start with Coco. (gasps) It's you. You're going to get me in trouble, Dante. Someone could hear me. I wish someone wanted to hear me. Other than you. I know I'm not supposed to love music. No music. No music. (laughs) But my great-grandma Coco's father was the greatest musician of all time, Ernesto de la Cruz. One day, he left with his guitar and never returned. Now my family thinks music is a curse. Great-great-grandfather, none of them understand me. I'm supposed to play music. All right, who's in there? I'm sorry. What's going on? I'm just dreaming. Do you mind? <gasps> Welcome to the land of the dead. Doctor, wait up! You gotta stay with me, boy. This isn't a dream, then. You're already out there. Agents at the Department of Family Reunions are available to assist you. Please be on the lookout for a living boy. Miguel, you're here. We're your family, mijo. <laughs> I know your great-great-grandpa. I'll get you to him. What are you doing? I'm walking like a skeleton. No, skeletons don't walk like that. It's how you walk. No, I don't. When there's no one left in the living world who remembers you, you disappear from this world. But you can change that. We gotta find my great-great-grandpa. You gotta do it by sunrise. What happens at sunrise? You'll be stuck here forever. What? Never forget how much your family loves you. It's almost sunrise. One cannot deny who one is meant to be. It's you! I am terribly allergic. But Dante doesn't have any hair. And I don't have a nose. And yet, here we are. All right. And now you've heard from Coco. Let us hear from The Book of Life. I may not be the town hero, but I swear with all my heart, I will never stop loving you. Did you think it was going to be that easy? I... I kind of did. She's not your average princess. Huh? Did I mention I studied fencing? You picked yourself a feisty one! They're not your typical Prince Charming. Come at me, bro! You don't point at me! I'm the You two are acting like fools! Wait. Oh, boy. And this... I'll do anything to be with Maria. Are you certain? With all my heart. Done? Is not your ordinary fairy tale. Huh? Where am I? <gasps> Welcome to the land of the remember. Please help me reunite with the love of my life. Stay here with us. We have epic fiestas every day. All you can eat churros. Comes an adventure. You're so strong, Wookie. Thanks. I work out a lot. Unlike anything you've ever seen. The call is here! 
Why don't you pick on someone your own size? Cause no one's that big, man. <laughs> hey, buddy. Christina Applegate. Follow me, kids. Ice Cube. Come on, let's do this. Diego Luna. Zoe Saldana. Yeah. Channing Tatum. Oh. I have something for you. That is so nice of you. Wow, I'm speechless. No, yeah, right? I get that a lot. That was awesome, man. The giant boulders were like, boom, boom, boom. And you were like, choo, choo, choo. and then the cat guardian, he was like, I'm gonna judge you with this giant sword. Today was a good day. The Book of Life. Hold it, I know exactly what to play. It has to be romantic and classic. You, you got what I need. Seriously? Yes. All right. So, Tim, do you want to start on this one, or would you like me to start on this one? Why don't you go through the synopsis of the Book of Life in Coco, since, you know, you, you do the talky thing and description thing more sufficient, efficiently, efficiently. I was about to say sufficiently, but maybe you are <laughs> sufficiently efficient. <laughs> uh, indeed. All right. So, uh, here in uh, Coco. Coco! <laughs> <laughs> we have young Miguel, who is the current youngest iteration of the Rivera, uh, Rivera family, who manufactures shoes. And his lifelong dream is to be just like Ernesto de la Cruz, who is the most famous musician in all of Mexico. Unfortunately, due to the fact that a musician ran out on his great-great-grandmother... Music is verboten in the Rivera household, and everyone just works on shoes. They work for the shoe company, which is successful in its own right. They do that, and Miguel, through, shall we say, shenanigans, uh, finds himself on the Day of the Dead in the land of the dead. And without the blessing of his family, he cannot return to the land of the living. And thus the adventure begins. Can Miguel get the blessing of his family in order to return to the land of the living? Or will he be trapped in the land of the dead forever? Moving over to the Book of Life. Spoiler alert, he dies. <laughs> they all die. It's the fucking land of the dead. <laughs> now, um, in the Book of Life, which is also a film about people who pass through the land of the dead on the Day of the Dead, which inspired uh, and engendered a lot of shall we say, negativity toward Coco. What we have here are a group of rotten shitheads who are going delinquents, if you will, who are forced to go to a museum. And there they learn about the story of the Book of Life, which contains all the stories of the people of Mexico, because Mexico is the center of the universe, and Mexico City is the center of Mexico, blah, 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 blah. And there they learn the tale of... Manolo, Maria, and Joaquin, who are uh, Manolo and Joaquin, are friends with Maria. Of course, they both love Maria. Maria will ultimately have to choose one. Uh, and in a very, and in very much a Hercules reminiscent way, we have two gods, uh, Zabalba and La Muerte, and they bet one another on who is actually going to win the hand of Maria. Because much like Hades in Hercules, Zabalba is really tired of dealing with the underworld. And when I say the underworld, 
he's got like the under underworld because you have the land of the dead, which is the land of the remembered in the book of life. It's the land of the dead in Coco. In Coco, if you are no longer remembered, then you have the final death or the second death or whatever the hell they call it in the Coco. But in the book of life, you then just go to this desolate, horrible place, which is the land of the unremembered. Zabalba is in charge of that. La Muerta is in charge of the land of the remembered. So the bet is to see who maintains control of which land of the dead. And then, of course, shenanigans ensue because La Muerta backs her pick and Zabalba backs his pick and they lead very different lives. Although, interestingly enough, Manolo has a very similar problem, except instead of a shoemaking family... It's a bullfighting family, and yet, what does he want to do? He just wants to play music. He wants to give the world his music and become famous and loved through his music, much like Miguel. There are lots of elements to Coco that are similar, and I would simply say that the bones of both films are very much the same. But much like I am a sick, tired, unhealthy, fat, older guy, and Tim is a much younger, healthy, good-looking guy. We both have skeletons. Our bones are similar, you know, but we're not really the same thing. So the bones are the same, but much like, as I'm jokingly alluding to, but much like Tim and I are very, very different, so are these films. They do have similar aspects. It's kind of hard to make movies about the land of the dead that don't share similarities. But at the end of the day, aside from some eerily similar plot points, i.e. Manolo in Book of Life and Miguel in Coco. The actual carrying through of the plot, supporting characters, plot points, arcs, conclusions, presentations, art styles, all that stuff is different. And they do create very, very, very different films. I was really, really not impressed with the Book of Life's attempt to kind of do Shrekish things, like they work in pop songs or and, and at the very least songs that definitely the parents would know like for instance they put in Radiohead's Creep like I'm not even sure what the hell that was about but whatever so it's things like that that they put in and Coco clearly it's a Pixar film so the music isn't going to be as there's not as much musicality in in it in terms of making it all about the singing and stuff but the music that is in there definitely is a lot more unique and flavorful and kind of matches the patterns of what you would expect to come from Mexico. Book of Life is not a it's it's not a it's not a bad movie. I didn't I, I certainly did not enjoy it as much as I enjoyed Coco, but it's an interesting movie and it's got I would say it has its it has a certain level of charm to it that it can call its own. Definitely the story within a story aspect of it in terms of its presentation kind of has everything made uh, into dolls. And so the presentation of Manolo and Maria and Joaquin, all these people, they look like marionettes. And so that definitely gives a certain storybook flavor to the film. That's really cool. And I, I like I say, there's for me, Book of Life seems to have a whole lot in common with Hercules from the 90s. So, I mean, there's that. But it's still an interesting film. I watched it with the whole fam, watched both of these movies with the whole fam. My two youngest actually thought the Book of Life and Coco, they liked them both the same. 
My oldest actually liked Book of Life a little bit more than Coco. Really? Yeah. The wife and I, however, the wife and I, however, both love Coco way more than Book of Life. I am going to land on Coco as the winner of this copycat throwdown. But in fairness to Coco, I would not say it is a true copycat. Why, why, your oldest, why didn't she like Coco more? Was it because it was, like, it was heavier? Maybe it was more depressing to... I really do think it was. I really do think it was. I mean, I make no bones about the fact that I was sobbing like a fucking bitch at the end of Inside Out. I mean, that movie just gets me in so many different ways, you know. And And I contend that the movie should be good for everybody, but I think, especially if you have kids, it's a lot more poignant. Um... Coco, on the other hand, I actually uh, had, my grandma had dementia that was induced by strokes. And so she ended up going into dementia in other circumstances, more likely uh, lead into Alzheimer's. Um, But again, everything was stroke induced for her. A lot of the things that they deal with in terms of dealing with a lot of the heavier elements of Coco, I I could relate to. And even then, while I'm like touched by these things, I'm not, I'm not crying, you know, I'm not tearing up. I'm not, you know, but I am moved by it. It's, it was still powerful. I mean, to tell you all my wife and my girls, they were sobbing. They were just, they were complete wrecks and they were complete wrecks after the movie was over with Coco. Yes. With Coco. And I'm like, so I'm thinking that's why. And so there was probably, uh, it was probably about two and a half days later that we watched Book of Life. So they had also had time to come down and cool off from watching Coco and then watching a much lighter fared film, I think is what really did it for him. Now, did you see Coco with that 22 minute Olaf's Frozen Adventure short? <laughs> TV episode <laughs> I beforehand? As a matter of fact, I did. I knew about the whole thing. I had been keeping up with it online, so I had already been well aware that it was a 22-minute short, that it wasn't a short. It was actually basically a Christmas special that they tacked onto the front of Coco. And so I had also read that as of December 8th, and we are recording on the 12th of December uh, right now, but as of the 8th, Disney was pulling the short from the U.S. screens. So I called up on the 7th, and I was like, hey, do you guys still have the Frozen short? And they're like, yep, yep, it's still there. And I was like, cool. And we went and saw it, because I actually wanted to see it. I like Olaf. I thought Frozen was good, and I was looking forward to seeing it. And so we all went. Did, did you enjoy it? I did. Yeah. Uh, I, I, thought this, I thought the singing was a bit much, but knowing what it was based off of and what they are doing, it was still good. Yeah. I liked it. Because Coco's, I think, in my opinion, obviously... The better movie. If you are a maturish adult, I think you you would be a fool to say that the Book of Life is the better movie because when you look at Coco, you can tell that it was made by people that respect and understand the Mexican culture. You look at the Book of Life, and it looks like if you are one who is balls deep in the Mexican culture. You might be offended by the first 30 minutes of the Book of Life because there's so much... I mean, the story itself is rooted in Mexican culture, but the film itself is rooted in, in American culture because every almost every single song, if not every song... Now, I'd say every single song is an American English-speaking song or English-sung song, and it's known for being an English-American song. 
very much like Radiohead's Creep. And yet they're singing it in Spanish. You just kind of wonder, like, if you're trying to make this song pretty and, and, and convey something, I mean, you can still get the same amount of feeling and nuance out of a Spanish song than you could out of something like Creep that is just a fucking weird song to begin with. And it just really doesn't necessarily work other than the specific lyrics that they chose to include in the film itself. And with only including specific those specific lyrics within that certain scene and moment, for those of us who know the song, it just still doesn't work because we're focused on why the hell do they use that particular song. And it's not just Creep, they have a number of other songs. Also, you have Channing Tatum and... You know, it, other than visually, the movie just really doesn't represent the Mexican culture, I think, fairly. And I am a very white Polish American. You know, you could say, well, I don't know anything, but I think there is a reason why Coco is the highest grossing movie in South America. And the book of life didn't even break even. In fact, the movie lost a shit ton of money. I think it made $40 million worldwide which is not a lot i could be wrong about that but even if it was a little more than a little bit more than 40 million dollars well, it wasn't it, it does say here um i'm looking up some wikipedia information on it here and it does say that it uh, had a budget of 50 million and a box office of 99.8 okay so even if it made say 50 million in the u.s and 40 million elsewhere internationally which includes south america and europe and japan and all that stuff that's still not a whole lot and regardless, I think it's important to note that Disney was in some hot water back in 2013 for Coco because of uh, uh, originally the script was, I don't know if they had a script at the time or not, but the title of this movie was going to be Dio de los Muertos. And Disney was attempting to trademark the phrase Dia de los Muertos, which the Hispanic community, especially in LA, it really pissed them off. Before I continue from that, I do want to read this. Hollywood Reporter article real quick, just this first paragraph, just so you can get an idea of my initial feelings towards Coco. The Hollywood Reporter article is how Coco turned from controversial to respectful of Mexican culture, written by Jordan Reefy. And quickly, the first uh, paragraph and a half says this, when Pixar decided in 2013 to make a movie themed to the Mexican holiday, Day of the Dead. The title was Dia de los Muertos. Owner Disney even applied to trademark the phrase, a move met by an outcry in the Latino community led by Lalo Alcaraz, author of syndicated comic strip Las Cucarachas, L.A. Theater Center's Evelina Fernandez, and others added their voices, and Disney soon dropped the bid. In the wake of the controversy, Pixar recruited a range of experts to consult on Coco as the film was renamed, led by Alcaraz and playwright Octavio Solis, and including Luis Valdez, founder of Teatro Campesino, Fernandez and Alteristas, master altar makers, Ophelia and Rosanna Esparza, who honored their skills at Boyle Heights' self-help graphics and art, which for 44 years has hosted LA's largest Dia celebration, perhaps the oldest such event in the U.S., co-directors Lee Uncrick and Adrian Molina met with all these people to craft what became Coco. Not only just the story, but the look at it as well. I think Alcaraz, the author of the comic strip, helped with, I, 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 I could be completely wrong, but I believe he not only helped with some of the story elements and maybe the mythos, but even the look of the film he had a hand in as well. 
So going into this movie, I already knew what Disney was planning on doing beforehand. And so while watching this movie, it still felt a little fake to me. And I thought it was a beautiful film. I don't think it's necessarily Disney's best film. And I do kind of think this is receiving more props than really it deserves. I mean, I could definitely see how this is the biggest movie in South America or in Mexico because this is a movie that in one way or another, accurately represents that culture. And I think that's fantastic. I mean, I'm, I'm sure they love it because they've never seen anything quite like that coming from Disney, which predominantly, other than Ratatouille, I'm having a hard time thinking of other Disney Pixar movies. I don't know, Finding Nemo, which takes place in Australia, I guess. You know, all of them pretty much take place in the U.S. So... I can see why people are gravitating more towards this movie because of the content and what it's about. And also why I brought up the Olaf's Frozen Adventure movie is because I was trying to time it out so I didn't go see Olaf's Frozen Adventure movie because I had my seat picked out already. I had my receipt reserved. So I decided to eat and have a couple margaritas. And so I thought, you know what? There can't be that much trailers. I'm, I'm going to say 20 minutes of trailers. That'll, that'll allow me 10 minutes to walk over there, use the restroom, get some water, and find my seat and sit down. So I waited 20 minutes, spent the next 10 minutes after that 20 minutes, so 30 minutes total getting eventually to my seat. And I sat down right when the trailers were finished, and Olaf's Frozen Adventure came on. So I sat there dealing with that shit, and I am not a fan of Frozen whatsoever, and unfortunately, I think that had somewhat of a negative impact on how I felt towards Coco, because I enjoyed Coco, and I thought, again, it was, it was lovely to look at, and I could see how it means a lot due to how it accurately portrayed a culture and a people, but I couldn't help but to think that it was maybe pandering a little too much to the audience, and also to those who just love Pixar for what it is. I'm being a little harsh on Coco, but I mean, it's still significantly better than, uh, than, than the Book of Life. I thought the Book of Life was entertaining for the most part, but I just can't see how one can look back on that movie and say that they thoroughly enjoyed it after seeing a movie like Coco. So yeah, I mean, I definitely think that the winner of this Coffee Cat throwdown is... Coco. Matt, I do want to ask you, though, do you think that the music that was used in the Book of Life was in poor taste, or were you at all? I mean, again, I know we're both white American men. Could you see people maybe being more offended? Nah, I don't think it's something that's an offensive kind of a deal. Who knows? I mean, for all we know, in the international versions, maybe they are, maybe they had Spanish songs instead. I, I really just think it was an attempt by 20th Century Fox to inject some form or fashion of Shrek into this movie, uh, into Book of Life. That's really all I think it was. It was just something to try and create some kind of hook for the adults that they would like. Yeah. That's all. Oh my god. I thought you sent me a dried... Uh, I thought that was a dried fucking peach. That is that is, that is a woman's asshole. I'm... <laughs> <laughs> and I, I could totally tell because you, you got like stopping in the middle of a sentence, <laughs> and, you, and you, you tried to pick back up again, and it didn't work. <laughs>
I am watching uh, farting in 100 frames per second. All right. Well, I, I guess, I mean, is there anything else you'd like to, would you like to talk about Ice Cube yelling at you in uh, the Book of Life? Uh, I need to exit out of this because it's a little bit distracting. I'm looking at it and it's like, God, that could be used in Star, like what if in Star Wars, like the pit? Now, like, you could really, like, fuck around, like, make that your asshole. Oh, God. Who would know? God damn. Oh, that's hilarious. The Sarlacc pit at 100 frames per second. You see so much detail in that 100 frames per second that you can really (laughs) smell what you're looking at. Um, Oh, that's so funny. But on the bright side, Disney really knows how to make uh, death in the afterlife family-friendly. No, I mean, okay, in terms of the Coco side of things, no, I, I really liked it, though. I, I thought Coco did a, just an amazing job. I don't think it's a matter of respect versus non-respect. I mean, otherwise, why are they plastering Guillermo del Toro's name all over this thing, right? right yeah. All over Book of Life. Yeah. I just think that in true Pixar fashion, they simply refuse to stop unless unless it meets standards of excellence. It's nice to see them kind of gaining ground again. They they had kind of slipped a little bit. Yeah. Good Dinosaur, you know, was the last one that I recall seeing that really wasn't that great. And then, of course, you know, they bounced back with Cars 3, so that was nice. And now this. They can make more... I mean, I'm looking forward to The Incredibles, because I'm hoping that's not going to have that depressing moment at the end of the movie. It just feels like you can already... You can expect that with their movies. And you can kind of tell that from the well, trailers, I don't know. you know? I, I, I guess for me though, I don't. I did not find the end of. All right, so I don't necessarily mean it was depressing, but just that I didn't even find it down or that serious. Okay, all right, so guys, we're going to have to spoil Coco here because the only way we're going to get through this discussion. I mean, I had a lot of tequila beforehand, so maybe I was just overly emotional, <laughs> which is very possible. All right, here on out, we got. Uh, sorry, I have a bump in the mic there. Straight up spoiler alert going forward for Coco. At the end of Coco, the uh, Coco is actually Miguel's great-grandmother. And she is, of course, the daughter of the great-grandma who was um, spurned. Well, it turns out that in his travels in the uh, on his way to try and, and get to Ernesto de la Cruz, uh, Miguel runs into Hector. And it turns out that Hector is actually the guy that ran away, not, uh, not, not Ernesto. And <clears throat> Coco remember is the only one who remembers him. Well, Coco is uh, suffering from dementia, and she's forgetting her her dad. And so the penultimate scene of the film has Miguel playing Remember Me, this song that Ernesto de la Cruz made famous, which it turns out he stole from Hector. And she remembers him. And she comes back, she kind of comes back to life with that. And um, there have been studies. There's actually, there's, there's amazing, there are amazing videos. You can go and check them out on YouTube right now of that exact thing happening in real life. There is something about music that unlocks people uh, that unlocks memory, and they do it with they they did it with people who have dementia, people with Alzheimer's, people who are like literally nothing, 
but man, you start playing music that like they knew or that somehow they were involved with or those, and you just watch, you literally watch them come to life. And so that happens in, in Coco, Coco comes back to life and that's what keeps Hector from fading away entirely. And, um, yeah, it's a, and so for me, I don't find that heavy. Um, I find it emotional and poignant, which it should be. But I also find that because I know that that is real, like that is, that's not fantasy. That's not movie magic. That's not animation. That truly happens. And I've seen it. And it's kind of like, wow. And they made it, and they did. They made it just a, a great swing point for the penultimate scene in the film. So I was all about it, man. Well, at least we both agree that Coco was the better film of the two. Absolutely, absolutely. All right, well then, that's going to bring us to the end of the bonus segments, pretty much for this year, actually. So uh, stay tuned um, in, in uh, our recap for this year and what we're looking forward to for next year. We... We might just tell you what we'll be doing for a bonus segment again. Who knows? So without further ado, what do you say, sir? Shall we get to the movies? Let's do it. Here we go, folks. It's the movies. This week's movies are The Disaster Artist and The Man Who Invented Christmas. Where would you like to start? Sir? You know what? I'm, I'm going to ask you. What What was your least favorite of the two? Man Who Invented Christmas. Really? Okay. Let's go Let's yes. go with that one then. And to be clear, least favorite just means lowest score. I, I did like the movie. Okay. Just for, for, <laughs> for the record. All right, folks. The Man Who Invented Christmas. So he's had a couple of flops. Well, who hasn't? You have a new book in mind? Oh, of course he does. My lamp's gone out. I've run out of ideas. Are we in trouble? No, of course not. I have told you not to disturb me when I am working. On Christmas Eve, the spirits pour into the night. Who here, Mr. Davidson? Pickpockets, streetwalkers, humbug. Those people don't belong in books. Charles! I'm back! I'm back! About a miser, and on Christmas Eve, he meets some kind of supernatural guides. Does it have a title? Humbug, a miser's lament. Christmas ghost story, Christmas song, Christmas ballad, something like that. Get the name right, and the character will appear. Scratch, Scrounger. Come on, Scrooge. Shut the window. You think I'm made of money? Mr. Scrooge, how delightful to meet you, sir. Sorry, I can't say the same. You and I are going to do wonderful things together. How do you make a world come alive? I can almost see and hear them people. Even if you'd already written it, we couldn't possibly get it printed and distributed in only six weeks. If I can't finish it, I'll never write again. The characters won't do what I want. I'm the author here. Allegedly. A jolly ghost. What's that mean? <laughs> In the season of hope, we will shut out nothing and everyone will be welcome. I have to get to the princess by nine o'clock. But you still don't have an ending. Merry, merry Christmas to one and all. Merry Christmas! 
That's enough. Back to work. God bless us, everyone. All right. So basically what we have here is the story of how it is that Charles Dickens basically came up with and subsequently wrote Christmas Carol. Very fun movie. Very, very, very fun movie. Uh, I actually went and saw this um, up at uh, the Tinseltown last week there. And um, in the Woodlands. Normally I go to the Cinemark that's right over here by my house just because it's convenient. But it wasn't playing there. So I had to go up to the... Uh, to the woodlands and go see it and um i the, i was one of like three people in the theater <laughs> sounds about right but it was a it was a later showing though for i mean for whatever it's worth it was a later showing. 8 30 p.m uh honestly no it was like 10 20 or something oh. 10 20 10 45 it was a it was a late showing i had, I had come off of work and everything this is a, it's kind of a biographical style film. So while it does have the whimsy, uh, you do have Christopher Plummer who's playing Ebenezer Scrooge. Um, it's more about the way that it explores how Dickens wrote and how the characters came to life for him and dictated to him as much as he dictated to the page. It also mirrors a lot of the things that went on in his life as he was as he was young, as he was experiencing life during this time, struggles with his with his wife, with his father, uh, with money, and all of those kinds of things. But at the end of the day, this movie kind of exists in this weird shadow realm of not quite good enough for the cinema but too good for TV. Like, this is not a kind of movie that you would think would be able to come out of something for, like, TNT or the Hallmark Channel or some made-for-TV thing. And yet, it's not quite cinema caliber either. And that's where it really... Because that's where it really falters for me. Because the story in and of itself is good. And I think that this is a delightful Christmas movie. And I think it's a great family movie as well. Because while it does explore all of the themes of A Christmas Carol, it puts it in the perspective of someone who's actually living it in their own way. Which is Dickens in this case. Uh, Dan Stevens... uh, Takes care of him. Of course, uh, Dan Stevens is, uh, most people will know him from whatever that stupid BBC drama is that I can't think of. Downton Abbey? Because my head hurts. You know you you like Downton Abbey. No, that's what I'm saying. My head hurts. I just can't think of it. I did. I totally watched Downton Abbey. I didn't watch, I I got in through season three, like halfway through season three. So I still need to finish the show. But no, I did like it. Um, He was also, he also played Beast in 20, 2017 earlier this year. See, I don't remember anything right now. Yeah, Basically, 2017. It was 2017 earlier this year. Okay. Yeah. I'm sorry, guys. The sickness is pounding down on me. It, he was beast in that. There's really great performances all the way around. Jonathan Price does an excellent job. I, I really, really enjoyed particularly Justin Edwards. He plays this guy named John Forrester, who's a kind of a... I guess you could say he's kind of like his agent... Uh, he's kind of like Dickens' agent, but he's also basically his best friend and ultimately even plays the part of Ghost of Christmas Present in this film. But things like just the overall cinematography, 
the way that the pacing works, a lot of the shots that get made, especially the tracking shots and the dolly shots and stuff, just really feel like they came out of a TV studio and, and not really a full on major motion picture. And I, and I don't mean that to knock it and say it's not worthy or that it's not good, but it does affect the viewing. Um, because at the end of the day, it's the entire presentation, not just the acting. Also, a lot of the story that is being set up is, is not paced very well, but beyond the 20 minute mark, I feel that it does, that, that it kind of picks up and holds the way that it should. Like I said, this is a great family movie and I will definitely have it on DVD and we'll, you know, we'll be watching it here at the old Quentin Homestead going forward. But in terms of it being just a truly great movie, it misses the mark. It's definitely likable enough, and I think that if you are into Christmas movies and or you're into family movies, you too will have a good time. I give this one 3.25 out of 5. Humbug. What is? Christmas. <laughs> what about it? Well, what is it but an excuse for picking a man's pocket every 25th of December? Yeah, keep going. A time for paying bills without money. A time for finding yourself a year older and not an hour richer. <laughs> if I could work my will, every idiot who goes about with Merry Christmas on his lips should be boiled in his own plum pudding and buried with a stake of holly through his heart he should. <laughs> oh, Mr. Scrooge, you and I are going to do wonderful things together. Oh, but he was a tight-fisted hand at the grindstone Scrooge. A squeezing, wrenching, grasping, scraping, clutching, covered as old sinner. What do you got there, Tim? I thoroughly enjoyed this movie. Uh, right off the bat, I give it a 4.5 out of 5. I was just so happy to see a, a Christmas movie that, that recently came out. It's not, I, I don't know if I could necessarily say it's a full-on Christmas movie, but the heart of the film is what I think Charles Dickens was trying to get across in A Christmas Carol, that I enjoyed seeing them update that story in such a way. They're trying to get the same themes across and the same the same life lessons and to rekindle the true story of Christmas spirit that I, it totally works in, in a way it made me kind of rethink how I wanted to spend the holidays this year and maybe go about doing things a little bit differently and that's one of the main reasons why I gave it a 4.5 I did think technically it was a great film I do think that maybe we have been used to seeing tv shows with big budgets like Stranger Things or Mindhunters, where now TV shows look like you're watching long-ass films. You know, the cinematography is on par with the best films that we saw back in the day. You know, the same thing with the direction. We have Hollywood directors working on TV shows now. So TV shows, the more recent great ones, have a movie quality to them. And I don't know if this is maybe the reason why you felt the way you did, Matt, when you said that it kind of felt, in a way, how it was shot and maybe kind of how it was looked. It felt like a TV show. Um, but I, I don't know. I, I thought that the movie, the scope of it, 
was simple, but I thought it was grand enough given it the limitations that it kind of seemed like it did have with maybe the budget or whatnot. I thought what it had to show you, it showed it well. When you saw the town, where obviously, I mean, not obviously, but you know that it's either CGI or blue screen, it just wasn't too obvious that it was blue screen. Everything blended well together. I think that says a lot when you watch something like Justice League, which is a multi-million dollar budgeted movie. It's obvious, it's apparent that it's CGI and green screen galore from beginning to end. But this movie, not so much. There's a lot of technology put into the film, but it still felt authentic. It had this atmosphere to it that was Christmassy and... Whatnot. Like, I mean, I'm sure it was probably shot last spring. The movie felt like a Christmas movie. And again, they show you rivers, London, you know, you see the city down a long street. And when you watch the film, you really don't think twice about it. I did because I thought it just looked too good <laughs> for, you know, I, I thought it looked better than probably how it should have. The movie just worked. I left the movie feeling warm and fuzzy. I chuckled. I laughed. Because I'm giving it a 4.5, yes, there are some issues. For example, throughout the film, when Charles Dickens, he's having issues coming up with the story of The Christmas Carol, suddenly Scrooge, Christopher Plummer, appears to him. And when Scrooge appears to him, it just kind of happens. You know, Charles Dickens isn't really surprised by that appearance of Scrooge. So I was wondering while watching it, well, when Charles Dickens, when he went and wrote his previous books, did he see the characters come to life in front of him like all these other characters? If so, okay, maybe that makes a little bit more sense, but it would be nice to know that beforehand. If not, I would think he'd be freaked out to see these characters come to life and randomly appear in his home. One could make the argument that he does see Scrooge in a cemetery, but I got the impression that Dickens thought Scrooge was just a guy. He wasn't a character. He wasn't imaginary. He was an actual person. Because that's what he comes across the entire movie. Other than, you know, when it's known that Scrooge is his imagination, you think he's an actual person. It would have been nice to see or get that sense that it was something new and different for Dickens. Other than that, there are other tiny nitpicky things throughout the film. I thought it took a little while to get to those hard-hitting moments at the end. But by the time the movie was over, I was filled with that warm and fuzzy Christmassy feeling. Dan Stevens did great. I thought the other actor who you mentioned did a fantastic job. And I thought Christopher Plummer and Price were stupendous. Maybe Christopher Plummer was a little underutilized for my liking or for my taste. But I thought Price, his character arc, and how he was worked into Charles Dickinson's, I guess, turn by the end of the film, his Scro Ebenezer Scrooge-like turn by the end of the movie, worked beautifully. It was incredibly charming. Without being overly sappy and melodramatically drawn out, it worked. 4.5 out of 5. I hope you people go and see it, because this is going to be the best fucking Christmas movie you've seen in the past few years, because... With Daddy's Home 2 and Bad Mom's Christmas, <laughs> I mean, I guarantee you we're going to have a Medea's Christmas Carol coming soon. So, people, take this while you fucking can. Uh, and remember, there's always Bad Santa too. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs>
Uh, <laughs> anyway, all right. So without without further ado, then let's get to the disaster artist. Okay, who here can really reveal themselves to the class? Anybody? I go. Don't talk about me, not to class, not to anybody. Yeah, no, of course. Shop on time. Try not fall asleep, everybody. Am I hearing an accent? Oh, uh, no, no. What would you win? How old are you? I want a Greg age. You're 19? Yeah. I just turned 14. Wow, happy birthday. This is my movie, and this is my life. Not great. You and me, we are all the same. Oh yeah, how's, how's that? We both have this dream. That we'll be famous. Yeah, I guess we do. <laughs> you have a malevolent presence. You are a perfect villain. I could see you as Dracula, Frankenstein. I'm not Frankenstein. I'm hero. Why well, give them job? I give them salary. I'm gonna spend five million dollars on this movie, Greg. Five, are you kidding me? Five million dollars? And they are not grateful. Nobody respects my vision. Where were you born, Tommy? Greg, that's not part of the scene. Now, you want an easier question? Where does the money come from, huh? Stop! This is on camera! I know it's on camera, just like you wanted. I do this whole movie for you, Greg! Can we just take it again? Try to lose the accent. The rules to the club are simple. And the question for was done. All right, you heard right there, folks. Disaster Artist 2017 American Biographical Comedy Drama Film produced and directed by James Franco. Um, <clears throat> all right, so basically, uh, I, I, I want to make it 100% clear that this movie is not about the making of The Room. This movie, and, and I get the feeling that there's a lot of people, uh, the theater I went to was packed to the gills when I went and saw this one, saw this on Saturday night. And, uh, and, and the audience was good. The, the audience, I mean, definitely, but I really get the feeling that a lot of people think that this movie is just a remake of The Room or a shot for shot, uh, you know, look at a background, you know, or, or behind the scenes of The Room. And it's not. The movie is actually about the relationship between Greg Sestero and, uh, Tommy Wiseau. Now, the movie itself is based on the book, The Disaster Artist, which was actually written by um, Greg Sestero and Tom Bissell. But Tommy Wiseau wasn't really all that much on board with the book. He's a lot more on board with this movie. And that's because I think... For the sake of expediency, for the sake of, of course, as with anything else in Hollywood, you know, air quotes here, based on a true story, right? Um, you get to make it a lot smoother. But still, nonetheless, at the core of this movie is the relationship between Greg Sestero and Tommy Wiseau. And that's what this movie focuses on. And yes, the room does come into play in a, in a large capacity, but it's never really the main focus of the story. And I think that's what makes this movie work so well. It shows two guys, one guy who's as much along for the ride as he is being taken 
for a ride while also at the same time just trying to deal with the ride itself all and of course the ride being Tommy Wiseau's life um they James Franco really does a good job of trying to embody Wiseau without making a caricature of him unfortunately i feel like Every time the movie got to the point where it was really getting serious and really getting somewhere um, delving deeper into the relationship itself, they felt like they needed a laugh for some reason. So they would just kind of fall back on Tommy doing something stupid or doing something just completely out of whack. Um, for example, one incident, he tries to do Shakespeare for a casting agent or a producer in a restaurant or whatever. And he's like, you'll never get a job in a million years. And Tommy was like, a million years? Well, well what about after that? Um, and of course, the line gets the laugh. And I even think that actually, I think that part might even be in one of the trailers. But um, it's it's that kind of thing. Sometimes I felt like they just kind of fall back on certain things just to kind of keep it funny. And they didn't need to do that all the time. Um, there's a great scene in there with Brian Cranston, which doing a little bit of research, um, did not happen in real life, but was designed to show just exactly what Greg was putting up with and sacrificing for the sake of what he was doing with Tommy. And I think that those are the kinds of things that really play well into this movie. Um, you know, Dave Franco was did a really great job. I think it's kind of hard, someone who has seen The Room, to watch someone who's so fucking short play Greg Sestero, but you know, whatever. Um, you know, <laughs> we, make, we make it work. But um, it's it's just a really well-put-together film. And... Um, despite the liberties that the movie takes again, because based on a true story, they, st I really feel that they get to more or less the heart of the matter when it comes to the kind of person that Tommy Wiseau is. He's not the bumbling idiot that you, that, that the movie, the room portrays him to be, or all of the things that you would hear about portray him to be. But at the same time, there is no denying the massive level of eccentricity that exists with this guy. And at the same time, watching all of this stuff play out and, you know, reliving some of my favorite moments of the room, uh, was also just a, just an absolute treat. So I give this movie 4.25 out of five. Uh, it's, it's definitely got flaws. It's not a perfect movie, but it is a, just a fantastic character study and it's also a great relationship study and how that carried into making this movie that we came we, we have come to know and love despite it's how terrible it is the room and that film here is the disaster artist so 4.25 out of 5 uh turns out i believe james franco even got nominated <laughs> for best actor for golden globes Music and movie got nominated yeah. too. Movie got nominated for Best Picture as well. So um, this movie is absolutely worth checking out. And the beauty of it is you do not have to have ever seen The Room to get anything from it. There's just a lot more nods and a lot more funny stuff in there that might strike the average person as outlandish, but would just be even further 
leaning towards the inside jokes if you've seen the room. 4.25 out of 5. Tommy, hey. What was this? Uh, this is Amber, who I was telling you about. Oh, girlfriend. Um, I, I don't know. Um, okay. Well, I don't have time for this. I'm very busy right now. I have to change really quickly and go. Okay. Is, is everything all right? Yeah, everything great on my end. You heard of Konstantin Stanislavski? Of course. Yeah, he's like the greatest acting teacher of all time. Yeah. And now he taught me acting teacher. He seemed something special in me. You know, maybe, you know, I'll become a big star. So I have first class this evening. Well, pretty sure Stanislavski's dead. No, he's not dead. I just speak to him for your information. What do you think I speak to, ghost? No. no. Okay, I'll let you know how it is, baby face. Maybe you can join me someday. Maybe I will. Bring us home there, Tim. I think it's a good movie, but without the film itself pertaining to the room, I don't know if the movie would have been as good. You know, there, there's not really, I think, a vision other than to make a movie showing the making of The Room, as well as some of the motivation behind making The Room itself, and touching a bit on the relationship between Greg Sestero and Tommy Wiseau. Tommy Wiseau, in reality, is manipulative. He's sexist, chauvinistic, and this movie wants the audience to like him. The story itself focuses on Tommy and Greg, but it it would have been also nice to learn more about the other people who were involved with Tommy and and, and with the room. I mean, you see the other actors and you see Greg's love interest and his parents and all the stuff. I'm not I didn't read the disaster artist book, but I'm told that it goes into more of what people were thinking at the time and what they really thought of Tommy. And it also goes into great detail of how Tommy actually was or is not only on set, but how he is as a person. He is manipulative. He is sexist, blatantly chauvinistic. And I just thought, like, with this movie, because it's a comedy, and I definitely got what Matt was saying, where it would be a drama, and you'd feel one way towards a character, especially Tommy, but then they would be funny. That breaks that moment up. And granted, it's really funny, but I just felt a little weird. Like, I just didn't know what James Franco was wanting me or wanting the audience to feel towards Tommy. Did we want to like him? Did we not want to like him? Did we want to think of him as an anti-hero or a misguided person? Because it's really difficult to understand what that direction was. And in doing some research and learning more about the book of the Disaster Artist and learning that there is more to it, and maybe you'd be able to actually pull more honest information about Tommy Wiseau as a person. I have a feeling Tommy was the one signing the approval contract or whatever, saying that, you know, you can make a movie of Greg's book, but you cannot include this stuff. The movie has to focus on this. It has to be an ode to the room and the making of the room and not focus on this other stuff. Because there is indeed like a homoerotic aspect in the movie between Greg and between Tommy. And that adds a little more to confusion to these characters, to Tommy's character especially. Like, is Tommy in love or attracted to Greg? Or does he want to be more like Greg? Because you can actually go both ways. Tommy does make a few comments throughout the movie regarding how Greg, oh, Greg, you're good looking. You could be James Dean. You know, he's he's really trying to build up his ego and, and in his mind make him a better actor. But is he doing it to actually make him a better actor? Or is he doing it because he likes him? 
And then we introduce Greg's love interest and Tommy gets jealous. Well, is he jealous because Greg's actually a good friend or is it because he likes him? He's attracted to him sexually or is he threatened? Does he feel threatened? It's difficult to really figure out exactly what direction Franco in the script was trying to go towards when it came to handling their relationship. So this is, in my opinion, a movie that focuses on the making of the room. You're provided all this shallow information, I guess, to get these characters together, to get these characters to L.A. The movie does provide enough depth to make Franco's portrayal of Tommy Wiseau, I, I guess for lack of a better word, accurate. Because I do think he was maybe playing Tommy as Johnny in the room, not Tommy Wiseau as Tommy Wiseau. And, you know, in, in the context, I guess, of what they were trying to do with this movie, I, I get it, and it worked. I thought James Franco did a great job. I do like Dave Franco. However, I didn't think he was right for the role of Greg, not only because of his height, but also because his hair and facial hair looked more like something he might have wore on an SNL skit or something, you know? And it just didn't really work. And when Dave Franco gets upset and yells, he sounds like a child. I mean, he's in his early to mid-30s, Dave Franco is. I mean, he's, he's well, I guess, early 30s, maybe. Man, shit, I don't know. I think he's 35. Dave Franco is definitely older than I am. And he does come across as like a 16 or 15-year-old boy when he gets angry. His voice crackles and cracks. Greg Sestero is a guy. The intentions are probably the same. You know, he wants to be an actor. He wants, you know, he has this vision of Hollywood. His desire, his passion in life is to be an actor, but, you know, other than that, there, there's not a lot of other meat towards the character. And I think that's really what I was missing from this film. Is that, again, if you take away the room, the movie itself falls apart and doesn't work all too well. But because, in context, it is entertaining. Even though I left the movie wanting more. I do give it four. Despite everything I said, it is a good movie, genuinely funny, and at times the drama is well-produced and well-made. Again, I just can't tell if I'm supposed to like him or if I'm supposed to hate him or in a different way. I just left the movie thinking, okay, well, he's just a weird guy when clearly there's more behind it. So four out of five. Right on, right on. Okay, well, then that's going to bring us to the close of the movies. And basically for the movies for the year. Yeehaw. We did it again, folks, believe it or not. So next week, uh, you're going to be getting our year-end recap of our favorite movies of the year that'll be that and we'll be wishing you a merry christmas so happy holidays folks and i guess shall we do the spiel spiel on what's new with you not much still going to the movie tonight oh sure we are what kind of movie are we gonna see well we'll see danny don't play too much it may not come out right all right let's toss the ball around okay Always. 
has been brought to you by our music partners, Cries of Solace. You can check them out at reconnection.com and facebook.com, both slash Cries of Solace. As for us, we are, of course, the SLS Cast. You can find us at slscast.com. You can send us an email to the show at slscast.com. You can, of course, follow us on Twitter at the SLS Cast. You can follow me, this is Matt, on Twitter at nitwit12345. You can, of course, come aboard that information superhighway and track down Tim on Twitter if that's your heart's desire. Don't forget, you can always subscribe to us on iTunes and or favorite us on Stitcher Radio, as well as track us down on the old SoundCloud. So, until next week, this is Matt saying that thanks to Christopher Plummer, I get to say this. I'm too old-fashioned to use a computer. I'm too old-fashioned to use a quilt. Take care, cinephiles, and we'll talk at you again next week. Madam, perhaps we should be going. Oh, farewell, monsieur. Thank you so much. So nice to see you. And I hope very much we will see you again very soon. Au revoir, monsieur. Thanks again for listening to the SLS Cast with your hosts, Matt and Tim. You can find us over at slscast.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at the SLS Cast. You can send us an email to the show at slscast.com. And of course, you can always subscribe to us on iTunes and or favorite us on Stitcher Radio. Thanks again for listening. <laughs>